And I'm Genevieve. Welcome to Let's Adult, the podcast designed to ask the question, are we adulting yet? Join us every Tuesday where we will be discussing the trials and tribulations of adulting in the modern world. We will be sharing our personal stories of all those not-so-cute messes we've made along the way. You can find us streaming now on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. No surprise that COVID has ruined most of our travel plans. Um, But some of us still have distant memories of airports. Now, Sonia and I have talked uh, recently in our last attempt to do this episode, um, and it's become glaringly apparent that we have very differing memories and viewpoints about airports. Um, So (laughs) we're going to dive into what we think makes airports good and bad. Um, Unfortunately for me, most long distance traveling requires going to the airport, which I despise. Um, I think Sonia has a little bit of a different opinion on that. I absolutely do. I kind of think that we're going to play a good cop, bad cop on airports today. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) During the glory days of air travel, people would get dressed up to fly. It was a big deal. I remember it being a big deal. I remember going to the store and getting a special outfit just to go to the airport. I don't know if that was a thing that everybody did, but that was definitely a thing that we did. And it felt special. And we would go into these gigantic air terminals and, you know, my parents would walk all the way to the gate with me, or we'd have relatives that walked to the gate with us to see us away or welcome us back. And we would go and have this amazing airport meal because it was special. And the flight attendants were stewardesses at that point, And they were beautiful and well-traveled with these incredible outfits. And I just, it was just magic. The whole thing was completely magical. And then 9-11 happened. <laughs> and now airports are the worst. Thanks to terrorism and airport or airline greed, flying has become a nightmare, especially when you're flying on a budget. Our list today is made up of things we hate about flying and some tips to try and make your experience a little better for you the next time you get on a plane. The first problem or concern that I think most people have is that everything is really expensive. It's so expensive. I mean, it was expensive for me before I was a starving graduate student on a very tight budget. Yeah. Yeah. And I've never, to be fair, I've, I've never figured out the hacks of traveling. I know there are hacks. I know there are people that travel full time and they make money doing YouTube or sponsoring products or whatever it is, however they make money, but they haven't figured out to science. And I, I, I don't yet, but um, there are several ways to buy a plane ticket for uh, cheap. I just don't know what they are. (laughs) But if you fly last minute or during peak times, you're going to pay top dollar. And sometimes that can, the plane ticket itself could be more than what your trip costs. Mm -hmm. And that is definitely my situation, especially now being a student, my only options for travel times are during peak times. You know, you figure now I'm in traditional school, kind of nine to five, Monday through Friday with the stereotypical holiday break, spring break, summer break. 
Um, and that is exactly when all of those greedy airlines jack up the prices, even months in advance. I mean, I try really hard to get tickets months in advance. And I thought for sure with COVID, um, things would be cheaper, but they have figured out a way to make that not a thing. <laughs> Uh, another thing that can be really expensive are travel fees. I don't have a lot of experience in this, um, because I refuse to pay for things I don't have to pay for, but I know you Genevieve have some experience. Like I've never traveled with a pet, for example. Yeah. And this was the first time I've had to do it. So I am exactly like you. I refuse to pay for things that I don't need. And in my mind, I really don't need much or anything. Um, so up until the pet situation recently, I only knew of a bunch of uh, airline fees really through my mother and watching her fly because she will readily throw money at the airline to make sure she gets her own seat choice or she gets certain luxuries and perks. Um, but with this trip back home uh, being as long as it was, I, I had to bring Millie with me this time. And I had never really done that before. Uh, so in order to bring her on the airline with me and in the cabin, I should clarify, they don't do the stowaway pets anymore. Um, that's not allowed. Uh, so you do either have to have your dog registered as an emotional support animal to come onto the plane or you pay a cabin pet fee, um, which is $250 each way. I think it was something like that. Maybe it was only 125. See, when fees get added on pretty soon, this as the story gets told a million times, they just grow larger and larger because we're just so upset about fees. That's incredible. <laughs> that's, that's another ticket. Did she have her own seat? No, she had to be in a carrier the entire time underneath the seat in front of me. Um, and it, Again, I don't pay for good seats. So in coach, like basic cabin, there's about four inches in between your knee and the seat in front of you, maybe. Um, so I actually had to try and shove her into that area before I even sat down in my seat. Because once her carrier was there and at my feet, I couldn't get it in and out if I was sitting in the seat directly in front of it. That's, that feels very traumatic. <laughs> it was very claustrophobic. <laughs> yeah. So what do they do with big dogs? Uh, they don't fly right now. Oh, wow. I, it's my understanding. I didn't see any of them. They need to be 20 pounds or less, and they need to be able to fit on your lap. So I'm not really sure. Maybe there is a way uh, for them to have their own seat, but I imagine the greedy airlines force you to pay for a plane ticket for that dog. Right. Right. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I've never, I've never traveled with a pet. And if I am given a priority seat option where I have to pay more for the window or whatever, I would rather just sit in the middle. I have no problem sitting in the middle seat. I have no problem asking people to get up so I can use the bathroom. I'm like you, I'm not, I'm not going to give you any more of my money than you need to get me from point A to point B, because that's your purpose. That's the sole purpose of the airline. You're just getting me to the destination where then I will begin my vacation or start relaxing. Exactly. But the With airport is not where I relax. So I'm not going to give you any more of my money than I need to. But my mom is obviously in a different category. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and I will say that this is coming from, I'm 5'4". I don't know how tall you are, Genevieve, but mm -hmm. I'm 5'4". So being crammed in a, what, third class, I don't even know what it's called, coach, 
Yeah, cabin. Seat. Main cabin. Main coach. cabin. Where the poor people go. Right. <laughs> I I don't mind that because I'm four five four and I have plenty of space yep. being five four. Now yep. my partner is six two. He has no option but to pay more for the seat that um the emergency exit seat. Mm-hmm. Because his legs are just way too long. He's just got these beautiful spider legs and you can't, he can't maneuver them under seat. It's another reason why I don't get those seats is because I know there's somebody who's gigantic, who's going to need to sit there and spread their legs out. And I definitely don't need to, like I can sit in a coach chair and I have plenty of space. So I just don't pay extra. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. I mean, I'm an inch taller than you. I, I have plenty of room. I don't, I mean, I'm not super comfortable. I can't like swing my legs around and you know, do some aerobatics in my seat, but I certainly have enough room to be comfortable for five to seven hours, you know, before I need to to get up or walk around. Yeah. That's another thing that they just don't really encourage anymore is to get up and walk around. And that's something that I really miss with air travel. Um, just because I noticed that when I, my last long trip, my legs were so swollen and my feet like wouldn't fit into my shoes when we landed. And this lasted for a couple of days because we weren't allowed to get up and walk around. And we were mm-hmm. on like a nine, well, no, it was a 12 hour flight. Oh God. Right. And I'm like, I can't move anymore. Anyway. Yeah. I don't get up at all during a flight. Um, not just because they don't encourage it, but because I, it's just not worth the hassle for me. I always go for the window seat. Um, and I just, once I'm there, I'm there and then I'm in my bubble and I just want to get through whatever torture is about to happen for the next five, six, seven hours. And then I'll get up. Yeah. I get up all the time. Cause I always have to use the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta stop drinking water or fluids before you get there. That's key. It, you know, that doesn't work for me. I, my, my parents used to restrict fluids from me, um, when I was a little girl before I would go to bed and it just did not work. Like I have always been a peer. It just, it's not something I can control. So we're learning so much about we, you. We are <laughs> welcome to let's adults, everybody, urinates. I just happen to do it every 15 minutes. Well, and speaking of restricting fluids and food, that's the other thing that's outrageously expensive at the airport. So probably better that you do for not just restroom reasons, but for financial reasons. I yeah, completely agree. I think spending money on food or even in the airport is the biggest racket that there is at the airport. Uh, Once you pass TSA, you're trapped and you have no other choice than to buy a hamburger for $20, not including fries or Uh a $12 beer, you know, like a Pabst blue ribbon for $12. Uh, It's, it's ridiculous. And I, at this point in my life, like, like I said earlier, when I was a kid and my mom was paying for things or I was in school and I didn't really care, I, of course, like, let's go have a steak dinner, you know, overlooking the tarmac, but now (laughs) no way, no way. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely outrageous. Um, but sometimes that beer is, uh, it's very well deserved after you've made it that far getting through TSA and all of the other, uh, other things on our list that we'll discuss. Sometimes the beer is, I, it's a necessity for me. So I'm, I gladly hand over, you know, $12 for a beverage of some kind. I've only done that once. I, and 
when we get to TSA, we will talk about it. But for the most part, I pack in a lunch. I never leave for a trip without snack foods, trail mix, dried fruit, something, because I've been in way too many experiences in the airport where I am trapped and there's no options. Like either my plane has been canceled and I'm, I end up spending the night in a terminal or, um, you know, I'm in a brand new terminal where there aren't any restaurants yet, or, you know, you just never know what you're walking into. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of places in some undeveloped countries where you walk into a terminal and it's, it's sort of a glorified bus station and there's a little vending machine. <laughs> So I just always have food because there is nothing worse than a hangry traveler. That is, that's very, very true. I mean, I don't enjoy the airport in the best of states. Uh, so when I get hangry, it's really uh, an ugly scene. It's not good. It's a good thing that I tend to travel alone because I would probably lose friends, I think. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I love traveling alone. I love that. But Usually what I'll do, depending on the time that I'm traveling, I'll have a large meal before I even get to the airport and then just bring snacks because we all know now, or anybody who travels nowadays, unless you're in first class, they don't have food on the airplanes. Mm-mm. And I mean, even I, when I flew to Paris, there wasn't any food on the airplane. Isn't that weird? And it's like a 11 hour flight. Yeah. That's crazy to me. I know. Like they expect you to not eat for 11 hours or just pack in or it's just absurd. Know. We brought food. I mean, we did because yeah. that's just insane. But um, yeah, I don't, I mean, I, like I said, I buy really cheap flights. So that's probably why one of the worst experiences I've had in an airport is right after nine 11, when security was really, I mean, it's, it's bad now, but it was just like total lockdown. Um, I went to Mexico with my then husband and one year old Mm -hmm. and we were trapped in a terminal for 11 hours because flights had been delayed or canceled or I don't remember the reason, but we were there for 11 hours and the terminal we were in was being um, reconstructed or redesigned or whatever. And there wasn't, there were no services there. So we were just there with the, with a one year old and like a handful of, Cheerios for 11 hours. That's, uh, that sounds horrible. And that's just a perfect example of the moment that marked when airline travel and airports got awful. And I think that's why our viewpoints may be so different because, uh, you know, I was like 10 years old when 9-11 happened, maybe 11-ish. Um, but I hadn't done a whole lot of traveling prior to that, obviously. So my only experience of airports, especially as a, a single traveler and like paying my own way through an airport has been post 9-11. Um, so everything is just miserable. Everything's crowded and uh, invasive and expensive and it's just horrible. The whole experience for me has been bad from the get-go. So mm-hmm. uh, I-, I tend to be a pretty pessimistic airport traveler. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when when I was a kid, we would go to Mexico a lot. My mom took a turkey into Mexico on an airplane for Thanksgiving so that we could celebrate Thanksgiving in Mexico. I and love that. There's just, like, there's no way that would happen. There's no way that would yeah. happen now. Not a chance. Nope. Not a chance in hell. No, 
And, you know, I'm not saying that we need to take turkeys across the border because I understand why that's dangerous. I'm just, I I have two experiences post 9-11 and pre 9-11. And um, I wish that we could go back to the pre 9-11 as far as trusting people again. And in a lot of countries, they they have that. A lot of countries you fly in and out of, they're not as uh, restrictive as we are. Yeah. Well, and the restriction adds to what is number two on probably more my list than your list. This, this uh, feature of the airports bothers me way more than it bothers you. But uh, long waits. I feel like the entire process of the airport is one big DMV waiting room. Like it takes forever to get through the sea of cars to find that one open space to drop off so that you grab your luggage and then you kind of walk in. And now I prefer to do all of my check-in online, but unfortunately when you're taking a pet into the cabin, you can't do that. So you have to wait in line to get your tickets printed and check in that way. And they have to look at your carrier and your dog and make sure that you're not like smuggling things or you're not abusing your animal. So I got to wait in that line. And then you get to wait in the TSA line, which could be anywhere from 20 minutes to, you know, three hours. It just depends because that's the nature of TSA lines. And I just, I hate the waiting. It's just long waits, the whole airport. So stupid. I'm sorry. (laughs) Long lines and waiting at the airport for me is more of a, um, I don't want to call it a game, but it's more of just entertainment, I guess, because the minute I get dropped off at the airport, my vacation has started, or at least the adventure has started. If I'm traveling for work, um, you know, it's not necessarily a vacation. Although what I do is so cool that it's, it's pretty much a vacation. I I don't, I don't actually work. You know, I, (laughs) <laughs> I have fun. I play with Barbies all day and it's, it's the best job in the world. But the minute that I get dropped off at the airport, it's the adventure has started and people watching is my most favorite activity when I'm at the airport. Well, when I'm anywhere, but especially at the airport, it's so great. Oh God, I wish I had that. For me, my vacation slash adventure doesn't happen until I drop my luggage onto the bed of the hotel room or something. I I kind of compare it to holding my breath until I finally exhale with that luggage on the bed. But the entire airport and flying experience for me is one big holding my breath until I can finally get to somewhere with clean sheets and right. Until the cocktail um, is in your hand. Yes. And you're sipping it at the pool. I get it. Yes. Yeah, I get it. This leads us into the most triggering conversation I think we're going to have in this episode, which is the TSA lines. Mm -hmm. And so trigger warning. Yeah. (laughs) For the next 10 minutes. TSA lines are the absolute worst. I think they're a, a level of hell. They're a new level of hell that we all go through. And there are certain airports that I refuse to fly in or out of because of how bad their TSA people are, or at least have been in the past. Portland is one of them. And I have, I, I cannot tell you how many times I've been harassed at Portland 
or in the Portland airport TSA lines. Um, it's, it's ridiculous. And to the point where I was almost arrested at one, at one situation, because I just refused to be searched. And the lady, uh, did the wand on me. I was a random pullout where they just, you know, they pull out random or quote unquote, random people, um, to wand, um, for any metal or explosive devices or what have you. And, uh, she did the wand and it beeped at my bra line and she said, you know, I'm going to have to search you. Do you mind if I touch you? And I said, no, you can't touch me because she asked, do you mind? I was like, yes, I mind. Yeah. You can't touch me. Right. If you're going to give me the option, <clears throat> the answer is no. Right. And she said, well, I'm going to, and we can either do that here or we can go into a private room. And I said, all right, let's go into a private room because I knew at that moment what I had determined or realized was that I was going to die on this mountain (laughs) (laughs) and I didn't want to do it where people had cell phone access where they could videotape the the meltdown that was about to happen. So I am a, a survivor of sexual abuse and being touched without my consent is something that is, um, very triggering to me. I think even if you weren't a survivor of sexual abuse, being touched as a woman without your consent is very triggering. I can't speak for men, but I'm assuming all humans don't want to be touched without consent. So they take me into this room to pat me down. Right. And I was arguing with the woman about how, you know, I didn't want to be touched, but I could, I I was happy to strip down naked for her and she could see that I wasn't holding anything, but I just really did not want to be touched. And she called in her supervisor and that supervisor called in her supervisor. And the next supervisor who came in was armed and said, I'm either taking you to jail or you're going to be pat down. That was it. And I had no other options. Those were my two options. Somebody was either going to violate me in my head, you know, in my opinion, or I was going to be taken to jail and probably be put on a do not fly list and, you know, all these other things. And I was so upset that I was ready to go to jail. Like this was my stand, you know? And if it wasn't for the fact that I was flying home to my children, I probably would have, but I just wanted to get home at this point. So I allowed them to pat me down. I mean, I didn't really have a chance or a choice. They just did it. But yeah, when they say I'm going to pat you down, this is a whole new, this is, this is not a good representation of what actually happens. It's more of a groping scenario. And when I left, I was in tears. I was hysterical. And I, I'm pretty sure I dropped some four letter words because I was screaming by this point. I don't even remember what I said, but I was yelling and I was crying and I was cussing. And um, the lady essentially said, you know, it was because of your underwire. People with underwire get tagged a lot because of, and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Do you know how many women wear underwire bras? I don't, anyway. I digress. The point is, is that, um, I will never fly through Portland airport again because it's happened more than once. And I don't understand why that airport is so 
ridiculous around TSA. And this is coming from a, you know, I hate to say it, but I'm a white woman with one carry on and no purse. Like I can't imagine what happens to people of color all over this country. So, I mean, that's an entirely different conversation, but it is a very, very mm. valid point to make now. Um, and it, especially in this, in this conversation, I just, it still blows my mind. I know I, this is kind of the second time I've heard this story and it just hurts my heart that you were the one of so many people to go through this because had that happened to me, I'm not necessarily triggered in the same way. Um, so it would just kind of move along status quo, whatever it takes to get me onto the, to the airplane and then done. But, you know, we talk a lot about mental health on this podcast and it just infuriates me that we can't recognize that there are individuals who don't tolerate that very well and that that sends you and people with similar experiences into this tailspin of anxiety to the point where you were literally considering getting arrested and putting put on a do not fly list, which we know you are an avid and passionate traveler. Can you imagine if you no. were not allowed to fly again? No. That's insanity that your brain even went to a place where that sounded like a better option than what they were putting you through. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I mean, I, I've been put into flight or f- fight or flight syndrome. Excuse me. Jesus. I have been put into fight or flight scenarios a couple times in my life and I always fight. I'm a fighter. And at that point, that was my, that was the fight, right? And it's not just people in with, because I've, since this has happened, I mean, this was like 15 years ago and I'm still talking about it. And since this has happened, I've talked to a lot of travelers about TSA experiences and it's not just people with um, sexual abuse uh, history, but you know, people who have uh, other, are they mental health issues? I don't know the correct way to, to signify them, but people who have like OCD issues or mm-hmm. people who have, um, if people are on the autism spectrum, a lot of times they have trouble with personal space and touching and people with sensory issues. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. like there's so many different things out there that people struggle with on a daily basis. And then you go through a TSA line and some person in a, you know, police type uniform starts barking at you that they're going to touch you or they're going to take something from you. It is really, really traumatic. And, and it, it doesn't even have to be a mental health issue. I, after my double mastectomy, I flew somewhere and I was in one of those machines where they x-ray you. And because of the implants or something, they saw something in my chest and they needed to pat me down again. And the woman came after me, like, boom, boom. Like she just aggressively patted me down. And I had just come out of reconstruction, like eight weeks out of reconstruction. I still had stitches or, you know, bandages. And I just dropped to the floor crying. And she was like, oh my God, what's wrong with you? And I said, I just had a double mastectomy. And, and she just like, you could see in her face, like, oh crap. Right. Yeah. But they're trained to not react. So they're just like, picked me up off the floor. Again, I'm crying in a fucking Mm. TSA line. And I went into the bathroom to make sure that she hadn't damaged anything, which she didn't because I was more than enough time out from the surgery. But it's, I just feel like 
they don't have a heart. Like they're not looking at people as people. They're looking at people as possible terrorists. And Mm -hmm. my question, like I don't have enough lung capacity right now to get soapboxy about this, but I would love to know how many terrorists has TSA actually stopped? Like, where can we get these statistics that all of the shoe pat downs or, you know, taking your shoes off and taking your belts off and patting people down and doing all these x-rays, like how many people have they actually found bombs or knives or whatever and been able to arrest and remove? I want the statistics. To know that it's worth it, that we're going, what we're going through actually serves a purpose. Right. Right. Because I don't, I don't know that it does at this level. Like the one guy who got the the shoe bomb onto the plane and now all of us have to take our shoes off. Right. For the rest of our lives? Like when is it going to I know. Happen? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've always, this again is one of those things where um, I have always had that experience with airports. So it's my only understanding of airports is like the shoes off, aggressive pat downs. Um, I have my own TSA story, um, but mine is kind of more comical than it is anything else. I certainly didn't get patted down, but, um, you let's know, in a positive direction. Jenny. Yeah, let's all, you know, <laughs> you can play a good job. Right now. <laughs> um, it's still a good example of how absurd and extreme TSA can be, but I was in Washington at the time um, and had gone to this cute, very, very old historic diner. Um, and it had a bag of its pancake mix for sale. Um, and at the time my mom was really, I mean, she still is really into pancakes and pancake mixes. So she tends to buy them from all over her travels. Um, so I wanted to bring one back for her as a gift. Uh, and of course, you know, it's in my carry on bag. It's not a liquid. So I figure I'm fine. Right. It's just a square ish, tightly packed bag of pancake mix. Um, and it goes a brick of white powder. Yes. Yes. And that is exactly where this story is going because (laughs) I don't know what it looked like when it scanned through that little carry on conveyor belt x-ray machine that they do, but it, apparently looked very questionable and mischievous because I was then, you know, like you said, kind of treated like a terrorist. And I was immediately told, I need you to stop and walk, like walk over here. You're going to come over to the side area. Um, I need you to not touch anything. Like you can't touch your own bag when they search things like that. They'll just ask you, where is it and how to get to it so that there aren't any sharp objects so so that they don't hurt themselves. And so you have to watch them open up the bag while another TSA attendant is wiping down my palms for gunpowder residue because they're convinced that I have a bomb, I guess, in my bag. Um, You know, shame on them when they find out that it's pancake mix. So screw you TSA, because all I was trying to do was bring home some, you know, fluffy flapjacks for my mom. Uh, and apparently I was pulled aside as a potential threat, but, um, it was just so crazy to me because of course, immediately after that, it's like, Oh, okay, you're good. Um, you can go, you know, it's this intense, like, don't, don't, you know, don't stand too close. Please don't touch anything, you know, put your hands out. Don't do anything else with your hands. Don't touch any of your stuff, you know? And then as soon as it's, Oh, it's pancake mix. All right. You're good. Go away. Bye. Did they open the pancake mix? No. 
Actually, I don't remember. They probably did. But of course, once you don't have gunpowder residue on your hands, it's kind of like, yeah, homeboy, what what else was that bag going to be of? Right. I oh, Lord. So That's stupid. amazing. It's a good thing you didn't have oregano with you as well. We could have <laughs> like the whole. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> the, the chef is flying. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. So once you leave the TSA lines, uh, whatever in whatever condition you leave them in. <laughs> good, bad, or ugly. Uh, good, bad, or ugly. After your um, your beer to cope with oh. the situation, you get to board the plane, mm-hmm. right? And for me, this is no big deal. I I have no. I don't even look at my ticket to see what line I'm in or what category I'm in or. I find a cozy seat with a plug. I charge all my equipment. I download whatever I need to download for the flight. And I sit there until the last call, till the last person is on the plane. And then I casually get up and I walk through without any shuffling or pushing or being hit with bags or crying children or whatever. I, I will not get on the plane until I'm the last person on the plane. Because again, I'm just going to sit there, charge my devices and people watch because it's phenomenal. It is hilarious. And it's my favorite airport game. I, I wish that I had the same sentiment because I'm already getting frustrated at just the thought of doing this, uh, the thought of boarding an airplane. And that, you know, your system is really great in theory. But for me, even if I, because I usually am the last like group to board, this comes down to the whole price thing, right? I refuse to pay for, for better tickets. But even when you're one of the last individuals to get on the plane, even if you're not really like wading through the line portion, now everyone has actually gotten to their seat. It's just, it's just too much. Let me tell you, this entire system tell is me. pure madness. Pure tell madness. Me. I tell you, <laughs> Genevieve, tell me, this is your, this is your platform to just <laughs> go, go. It's the most frustrating thing in the world. It's uh, those of us who are in the back of the plane should board first. It should all be in a very like systematic kind filling the glass kind of a thing, right? Liquid plays by this rule. You don't pour liquid into a glass and it fills the top half of the glass before the bottom half of the glass. That's just not how science works. So why do we as a society allow people to sit in their seats at the front of the plane before those of us need to get to the back? Let us get to the back first. Let's just let let me get into the plane, into the back and file in. And then you guys can sit down, get yourself situated. You've already got the nice comfy seat. Okay, we're all jealous. You're probably going to get special treatment. You get the cozy, you know, area. You can just wait to get on the plane. You're the first one off the plane. There's a perk. So, you know, this uh, I just it gets me so upset I get lost for words. It's just so frustrating. This is fantastic. I've never <sighs> seen you soapbox like me before and I I like <sighs> I like being the one observing. The only thing that I dislike about the first class getting on there first is that and I'm sure that this doesn't actually happen. Although I think if I was in first class I might actually feel this way. Right or wrong, I might actually feel a little superior to everybody else getting on. Like be, because I never fly first class, I've never I've never flown first class ever. And I feel like if I was in one of those really posh compartments with like the champagne and I was sitting mm-hmm. there while the third class people shuffle into the, you know, the cow pasture in the back. Right. I might sit there and go neener, neener. 
And so as I walk through, I feel like everyone that's there is saying neener, neener. And that's the only time. Yeah. That's the only time where I'm like, you know what? Fuck you. (laughs) Exactly. You can get to your seat last. That's all I have to, you're going to enjoy the entire flight. You can wait to get onto the airplane. That's my only, like, come on now. It just makes sense. Lounge. You know, with the food and the the whatever. I didn't even know airport lounges were a thing until recently when I I started watching this, uh, what is it called? A vlog on YouTube about Mm -hmm. these two people who travel full time. And they have some sort of pass where they can get into airport lounges and they have food and, you know, it's a really nice place to sit and lounge while you're waiting for your flight. I didn't even know these existed, Genevieve. Really? Yeah. Until two weeks ago. And now I want to go to the lounge. But anyway, my point is that these people with the first class tickets, they go and they, they sit in the lounge Yeah, and they eat and they drink and whatever. It's all included in the first class ticket. You don't have to pay when you get in there. And then you go to your gate first and get into the plane. They serve you champagne or whatever. And then you watch all of the poor people shuffle in. And that I'm conflicted because a, I want that. <laughs> and B, I hate that. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not here to solve that issue. I don't care. <laughs> but that's just, that's just my, you know, how I feel about the situation. Like it, I, I am, I'm here to tell you socialist mm-hmm. flying. We should all have oh, adequate right. seating. No one is better than the other. And we all file in like the way liquid does into a glass back of the plane first first front of the plane first when off boarding that's just let's take over the planes complete socialism all of the tickets are the same price you all get adequate seats done that already exists it's called southwest but they don't travel abroad (laughs) you can't take southwest to to europe or south america can you uh no you cannot no just because i usually I usually, well, I used to fly Southwest being from the California area. That's like the, the airline to take for small travel on that Mm -hmm. side of the coast. Um, It doesn't come even all the way out to Virginia. So I can't even use that airline anymore to get back home. Right. So, wow. You have to go with, uh, you know, speaking of airlines, the one airline that I will refuse to fly is United. I have had nothing but terrible experiences every time I've been on a United flight. But other than that, I don't really have preferences. Just United and TSA. Those are the only two things that I really got. (laughs) I just go the cheapest route. Uh, I try to just go as cheap as possible. So I haven't really had horrible experiences with one airline over the other. Uh, I think we can all tell. I just in general hate flying as a, as an activity, the airports in general are just an unenjoyable experience for me. Yeah. I despise getting through crowds of people. And that is exactly what the airport is for me. I feel like I am an NFL linebacker trying to get from the end of TSA line to my gate. And that's, that's all that's like the entire objective. As you were talking, Genevieve, I realized that I look at going to the airport more as like going on a safari, right? Like I'm safely in the back and I'm watching the wild animals do their thing and they're all gathering at the water hole or they're, you know, the zebras and the tigers are fighting or whatever is happening is happening in the airport. 
And I just sit back and I watch it as if I'm on a safari. I, I will, <laughs> I don't know if, if this is an option for you because I know you're really restricted, but I oftentimes will take red eye flights, A, because it helps with uh, jet lag. If you can uh, sleep on the plane and wake up in the morning in the whatever country you're in. Also because there are no people in the airport. Yeah, I um, I do try to get uh, earlier flights. So I, I think I've only done a red eye once before. Um, and I love anytime I can sleep through this uncomfortable travel and wake up starting my vacation or, or destination traveling. It's ideal. Um, but now, especially whenever I'm talking about going from one side of the country to the other to visit back home or come back over here, um, I try to leave at like five or six in the morning. And that's never the issue. Getting on to my first flight is never a problem. It's getting off of that flight now at like 10 or 11 in the morning at the next airport and me trying to get from my one gate to the layover um, and my next flight to get wherever I'm going. That's where the NFL linebacker has to kick in. Got it. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Getting out of the gate into your car. I, I get that. That that can sometimes be for me as well. I, I don't really sit back and watch that happen either. I'm more like, where's the bathroom and how do I get the hell out of here? Because I'm yeah, ready exactly. for my trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because now the purpose of the airport is done. You don't need it anymore. So now it's just a matter of how quickly can I get out of this hellish establishment? Yeah, but first you have to go get your luggage if you check it. And Never. that is that no. is where I have a mental <laughs> breakdown. Yeah, like I have to agree. I can't, uh, if I have to check a bag, I have to really talk to myself about how lucky I am and you know, fill my atmosphere with gratitude because not only do I not trust the airlines with my stuff, but I also absolutely hate sitting at the roundabout carousel thing, waiting for my bag with hordes of people. Like you're saying, yeah, I don't talk about a safari and a watering hole. That is, (laughs) that is it in a nutshell. Like I mean, they're already kind of uh, floating, hovering like mosquitoes around that area. And then as soon as those lights start going and they, uh, some of them even do the beeps, right? Like, okay, the carousel is going to start. This is your luggage, man. They are on that conveyor belt and crowds of people just shoulder to shoulder trying to see if they can find their slightly different marked black or purple luggage because they're all the fucking same. (laughs) So okay, the first thing that made me laugh hysterically, I was on mute, of course, because of the dogs. But the one thing that made me laugh hysterically was the black luggage. I, I think that that is I don't know why I find so much joy out of going to the luggage carousel and seeing 900 black lily cases. It's true, right? <laughs> it's so true. And one of them has like a little pink ribbon. And you're like, really? Is that? Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. All of my luggage is a bright, obnoxious color. Like if I go into buy luggage, which is rare, I like I, I think I said, oh, it was in our recording that didn't work. My backpack is from 1999. That I, and I've been all over the world with this bright yellow. And it's not like a cute little butter yellow. It is bright, 
like emergency vehicle yellow. <laughs> right. But you can't miss it. You That's cannot, the point. You cannot miss it. And nobody wants it. I mean, it's so battered. It It's grimy because it's been in so many airports and it's been on the floor and I've used it as a pillow. And you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's not pretty. You don't expect whatever's in there to be nice. And to be honest, most of the time it isn't because most of the time I, ne- well, I never take things that are nice traveling because you could lose them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I never take jewelry. I don't take the, the nicest thing I have when I travel is probably my cell phone or my camera, but everything else can be replaced if lost. I never check a bag. And if I have to check a bag, I have a, an internal mental breakdown, but usually that only happens if I'm on some sort of like little puddle jumper and there's no overhead or under seat situation. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, how far could we get lost? But if I'm on this huge jetliner going across the ocean, I refuse to check a bag because I just, I don't trust the airlines and I don't want my stuff lost. I just can't do it. But the last time I traveled, I realized that I feel like I've come to the age where I'm done backpacking and I don't know what this looks like, but I think I'm going to get one of the rolly carts. Oh. And when I started looking at the rolly carts, I went for the bright orange, bright yellow, you know, magenta floral, not because I think that's pretty, not because I want to travel the world in something like that, but because I don't want to go to the carriage and try and figure out which black suitcase is mine. Exactly. (laughs) I don't want to do it. Exactly. I I also never check bags, uh, but I had to for this recent trip. Um, I mean, I probably could have gotten away with a backpack if I was – really, really uh, thrifty with it and and clever. But I ended up borrowing my landlord's luggage, who, da-da-da, no surprise, large black suitcase with one lime green and blue bow tied onto the handle. Surprise, surprise. So, of course, my only experience going to those little carousels for the luggage pickup was with a black bag with a little brightly covered bow. It was awful. Never again. Just and never again. And it's even still on it. You know, it's just and that's the real. other scare. Yes, exactly. But on the flip side, because you know, I, I like both sides. I, I like to bitch about one thing and then I actually want it. Like first class. There's something so beautiful about personalized luggage. Mm-hmm. And I just yeah. think th- that brings me back to my childhood. Not that I ever had personalized luggage or even saw somebody with personalized luggage, but I just feel like there's nothing classier than personalized luggage. And maybe after I get the floral iridescent rolly cart, I will graduate into the personalized luggage. Like maybe that that's the course I'm taking as far as luggage is concerned. But the problem, the problem with the rolly cart is that when you're walking down cobblestone streets, this is where my brain starts to melt a little because I don't want to rolly cart my luggage. <laughs> down, you know, a, a South American dirt path to get to my hostel. I think I might be graduating into the, whatever the next level of traveling is. And I have, I don't even, I don't even know what that looks like because I haven't done it, but I hope that it includes personalized luggage and checked bags <laughs> and check bags. Yeah, you can do it. I mean, there really is something great about uh, not having to carry or maneuver anything onto the plane. I, I mean, like talking about those narrow aisles and 
figuring out the seating situation, that's the only real drawback to having a carry-on, right? Like you've got to kind of keep it close to your body and make it part of your circumference, your total circumference area as you like board a plane and then hope that you have space directly above your seat. And if not, then you're like trying to find space across the aisle on the other overhead bin or like three rows behind you. And with the check bags, you just, I I mean, you check them, you give them, you you know, in in God we trust, so with all good faith, uh, you know, here you go, airport, here's my life, um, please take care of it. But then after that, you just, uh, you know, get to, like, getting in a taxi with nothing nothing on you, and then that's oh, it. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to be there. I think I'm always going to carry something on because I am just so convinced that I don't know if I'm convinced stuff is going to get lost or I just want to be prepared. I I just feel like I need to have enough stuff to last three days in case something happens, right? In case the luggage gets lost, I have a toothbrush and money and clothes and whatever I need to survive for three days while that all gets figured out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, and that's, that's a great, that's a great question. Like how much is, is too much as someone who's done extensive carry on backpack traveling? What is, what needs to be in that backpack for you? And at what point is it too much? I think that if you can travel with three days worth of stuff, you have enough because especially if you have the right kind of material, if you have a quick wick Uh, type of material. And there's so many travel clothes, clothing lines and companies now that sell, you know, convertible things that do multiple what have you's. And they have this quick wick uh, material where you can wash it in the sink and dry it and then wear it the next day. Or there's laundromats in almost every town I've ever been in. My first tip is that you don't need to take an outfit for every day, Mm -hmm. right? You just need to have two pairs of pants two shirts and a sweater or a jacket. Yeah. And you're probably good for the whole trip. uh, If not for the couple of days that you need to figure out how to either buy new stuff or whatever. I, I pack pretty light. And when I went to, I went to uh, on a trip with some friends and we were backpacking and they were asking me the same question, you know, what should I take? And I was, you know, really pompous about it and like get the packing cubes and smush it down and, you know, you can get really, really small. And of course I have this backpack from 20 some odd years ago. And my one friend was like, okay, great. I'm going to get the cubes. I'm going to get the backpack. I've got this. Well, we show up at the airport together and I've got this huge, like 50 uh, liter bag. And she's Mm -hmm. got this little tiny 25, like a, (laughs) like a normal backpack. It wasn't a hiking backpack. It was like a normal backpack. And I said, oh, did you check your bags? And she said, no, I just, I did what you said. And I put it all in this backpack. And all of a sudden I was like, well, I didn't even do what I said. Like (laughs) she, she had it down. Like she had this little tiny bag and we traveled for, what was it? A couple of weeks. And I had this huge 50 liter on my bag Mm -hmm. back and she was just piping along. And then our (laughs) other friend had the rolly cart that was the size of a small house. And yeah. So we, I was able to watch all of the different versions of traveling at that point. And right. if you can make it into a small 25 liter backpack, you're winning, man. In my opinion, yeah. you're just, you're just winning. 
Yeah. And well, I have no experience of doing international backpack traveling. Um, so in my mind, uh, really, I have like a, a chrome bag, like a shoulder sling chrome bag, and it's not very big. It doesn't really hold very much. Um, but that tends to be my favorite thing to travel with. Uh, first and foremost, because I can put it, I can strap it onto my body, which I always prefer over like a handheld hook type carrying. Um but as long as I have my wallet with some form of ID um, and a couple of credit cards, debit cards, things like that, I'm a happy camper. Those are really the only things that I truly care about on on any, you know, carry on. Of course, you know, a pair of jeans, two to three T-shirts and a toothbrush is kind mm-hmm. of my standard go to. I'm going to have that. I'm going to have maybe a little bit of makeup. So, know. you know, I just um, I just keep it really, really light but there is this weird mind you know kind of messery that happens when you get to check a bag pretty soon you're just like well i'm checking it so i'm gonna take everything and i did have that problem recently going back to fees um i did need to bring back certain things to certain people and i wanted at least a variety of shoes which was probably my downfall um but i got to the airport and i I kid you not, I was six pounds over the limit, and six pounds equaled $100 in extra fees for the heavy luggage. Mm -hmm. Six pounds deemed it heavy luggage. And at that point, she was like, do you want to try to take anything out of this so you don't have to pay? But I already had Millie in a carry-on that was like stuffed to the gills with like dog snacks and water bottles for her and my own ID and money and wallet and bullshit. I had no place to fit it. So I had to tell her, no, I'm going to pay $100 for six pounds. And at that point, you might as well have put in 20 or whatever. Right. And that, yeah. I, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, well, shit, I guess I wish I would have brought my whole fucking bedroom at this point. You're going <laughs> to charge me $100. Yeah. I think to go back to the what is too little or too much, um, my one advice on what to put in your carry-on is whatever you're going to need if you were trapped in an airport and you didn't have any entities. Because that is absolutely something that can happen, especially if you're traveling through the East Coast Midwest, because you guys have crazy weather out there. Crazy we weather. Don't, we don't deal with that in California. No. Um, if, if a plane is delayed in California, it's because something has happened in Chicago or DC, yep. you know, yep. or Denver or whatever. So if uh, if you're trapped in an airport because of snow or whatever it is, whatever the reason is, do you have what you need to be comfortable overnight? Because a lot of times, and I, I've been in this situation, I know people who have been in this situation where it is all of a sudden, you're standing in the, the line to get onto the plane, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, can't go, there's ice on the wings or whatever, and now you're stuck in the terminal Mm-hmm. And it's 11 o'clock at night and everything has been shut down mm. and you need, and like people are scrambling to find the chair that doesn't recline, that doesn't, you know, you can't sleep in it, but at right. least you can. So, um, yeah, be prepared in my opinion, when you're traveling, be prepared for the worst case scenario in your carry on and check everything else. Yeah. Including yeah. snacks. Including snacks. That's yes. right. All right, Genevieve. We're heading towards the end of this episode. Mm -hmm. So now I'm curious, what is your worst airport story? 
Uh, <laughs> I mean, I hate everything airports, um, but most of the time it's the airport's fault. And I, I'll, I'm a big enough person, and this is a podcast about adulting, so I will admit that my worst airport story is my fault. It's a product of me being a dumbass. I, I'm okay admitting that. I had a flight uh, really, really early the next morning to get into Texas, and I, for whatever reason, took it upon myself to get entirely annihilated that night, the night before. I got really, really drunk. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't planned. I was just out having a drink or two and, you know, caught eyes with a guy across the bar and then, you know, fill in the rest of the story. And it just got really really crazy um, because I did not set my alarm. I barely made it home uh, because the only thing I remember after was waking up out of a dead sleep and realizing that I had 15 minutes to pack my luggage and get a lift to the airport at 4 a.m. in the morning. And yes, I was absolutely still drunk. So how any of this happened, it was just by some divine intervention to make sure I made it to the airport on time because there was even a Lyft driver available at 4 a.m. who was willing to go to the airport, which was also crazy. Fastest I have ever packed a bag in my life. And now, because of this event, I pack my bag almost days in advance, short of my toiletries and makeup. Um, but I got to the airport, somehow got on the flight, all of that is really a big blur. What I remember the most is the pain and discomfort I experienced for that entire flight while I was holding back just massive diarrhea. As I was going into my excruciating hangover and slipping into the next phase of this really bad decision, my body was in complete revolt. Uh, and it wanted everything that I did the night before out immediately. Um, and that was not an option. As we've just learned, I don't get up and walk around in a flight. I don't use the bathroom while I'm on a plane. Uh, so I sat there miserable trying to hold back what were questionable farts and possibly like a change of clothes situation. And I did that for the entire flight. I had one layover. And by the time I got to that next airport, I don't even remember how long the layover was, but I know that I spent 95% of the time in the bathroom, on the toilet, and like sweat. I kind of pulled myself up by my bootstraps now that, you know, the evil was out of me. I had purged myself of the poison that was my bad decision the night before, got on the subsequent flight, made it to Texas, thankfully. Um, but I literally went from the airport to Rite Aid to grab a bunch of Gatorade and Benadryl to put my ass to bed at 5 p.m. Texas time. And and that was it. That was that is my worst experience. And now you all know, uh, you know, what poor decisions I make. Clearly, adulting is a work in progress because that was not my finest adulting moment. Um, but that is my worst airport slash flight story. Holy guacamole yeah this is terrible this is just terrible <laughs> this is just i have never thank god i've never had a situation like this but i think that i might just miss my flight this is just that's terrible it was close it was a close call um yeah i i don't know how i made it I, i'm 
obviously really needed to get to Texas, uh, and I made it happen. But it will now forever go down in history as the worst decision I've ever made. So. Yeah. We need to dealt your way through that, though. Because I would yeah, just... thank you. I would have just stayed home. And been like, sorry, I can't... I can't go to that job interview today. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for you. Good for adulting that yeah. situation. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, what is... What's your worst story? Hopefully, it doesn't involve diarrhea. No. No. Okay. It, All right. No, it involves the Israel... Um, army <laughs> oh or well it already sounds better than mine <laughs> military police i don't i don't know if it's better um but it definitely was something that i'd never experienced and i wasn't prepared for so i uh went to israel and our layer layover was in france if i can give you any advice out there as travelers don't go to the middle east from france either fly directly in or find a port that isn't contested. I do know that Paris is a is a kind of a hub for terrorism, so I get that, but um, I just had no idea. Go. I was going to Israel for work, and I was traveling with two people. We go into the airport, or into the security line, and there's this really, I don't want to say adorable as in like condescending, but he just was this adorable man who was not intimidating whatsoever and smiled and was like, hi, how are you? What's your name? Very joyful. And I was telling, you know, Oh, I'm Sonia. And have you ever been to Israel before? No, I'm really excited. Why are you going? I'm going for work. What are you doing? And all of a sudden the questions became more and more intense. Like Hmm. he was still smiling. He was still like, "Oh, Oh, that's great. But the questions were more like, are you Jewish? No. Do you speak Hebrew? No. Why are you going? Where are you staying? What hotel are you in? How long will you be there for? How much money are you bringing into the country? Yeah. What are your intentions? Where are you going afterwards? And I'm, I started, oh, before I get in, they separated all three of us because we were a group and we were, you know, and, and Sarah, my friend who's Jewish was like, oh yeah, they're going to ask a couple of questions. It's no big deal. Be honest, whatever. Okay. So they separate us into three, three different people are interviewing us. And then he stops interviewing me and he goes over to who was interview one of the people who was interviewing somebody, one of my other friends, and they start comparing notes. And then he comes back and he's like, so um, how long have you been in Paris? I said, oh, we, we just a 24 hour layover. Well, where did you stay? Oh, we stayed with, uh, you know, my friend's friend mm-hmm. who's a travel blogger. And so she lives in Paris, side note, she lives in Paris because she's a travel blogger and she happens to be from the Middle East. She actually happens to be from Kentucky, but her name is Middle Eastern. And I don't know Mm. from which area, but it was just a Middle Eastern type name. So I said, oh yeah, we stayed with her friend. Well, what's her name? And I said, oh, you know what? It was her. I don't remember her name because it. I didn't even meet her because she wasn't even there. She was like traveling in Germany and we were staying at yeah. her, her place. So he walks over and they figure out what her name is. Well, where is she from? I said, honestly, I don't know. I could pull up her blog. I could pull up her Instagram. So I'm starting to sweat because I can't answer these questions. I, mean, I don't know. I'm traveling with her. She, it's her friend. They know each other through yoga. I don't even know. Yeah. So now I'm starting to get a little pinchy about it. And he's still smiling. Okay, no big deal. Let's figure That's almost out. more terrifying. I it think. was. I was really starting to sweat both. So then I look over at my friend Ashley, and who's the Catholic, and she looks like she's going to pass out. Like she's 
white. She's got sweat dripping down. She's starting to shake a little bit. And I was like, holy shit, what is going on? And Sarah, who's our Jewish friend is like, oh yeah, my rabbi and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, you know, talking it up over in the other corner. And Ashley looks at me and the look on her face was like, I'm going to puke. I'm, I need a trash can. I'm going to puke. And so I started to really start to think that maybe we were in trouble. Well, mm-hmm. it turns out that Israel is incredibly careful about who they let into their country. And they need like a whole timeline of what you did before there, because they don't want to bring in any terrorists that might compromise the situation because it's already a heated situation. Right. right. So I'm like, okay, I understand. They took our bags and literally emptied them out on this huge table. And by at this point, like this is a 35 minute situation at this point. Oh like we've been God. questioned for 35 minutes. So now all of our stuff is out on the table, underwear, tampons, whatever. It's all out, spread out. Mm-hmm. And they're waving wands over it. They're passing things through special machines. We're there for like an hour and a half while they're investigating our stuff, our persons, everything. And the whole time he's smiling. Yeah. At this point, there's guards. There's like armed military police at this point who are conducting this. They're, they were doing stuff with our hands. I guess that's a gunpowder thing. I didn't even know yeah. it. But yeah. they were doing stuff with our hands. They were doing stuff with our clothes. Uh, they were wiping things down. You know, they were just really, really, like they were going to make sure. They, wow. Side note, they never touched us. It was just our stuff. Okay. 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 <laughs> and so at the end, they they were like, okay, great. Well, we hope you have a great time in Israel. And, uh, you know, thanks for participating or whatever, right? And Sarah, who was our Jewish connection friend, said, you guys, we're going to miss the plane because we'd been there for a fucking hour yeah. and a half. And the guy's like, no problem. Come with me. And like sneaks us in the back way so that we can get into the boarding area before the plane takes off. What? It was, it was the most, it was so crazy. It was so crazy. And so we're sitting in this line and we are in three white Americans in this line full of Middle Eastern people, different cultures, different languages, different everything. Mm-hmm. Because this was like the hub to the Middle East, yeah. right? And so Sarah turns around <laughs> to Ashley and says something like, oh my God, wasn't that so crazy? And Ashley with this, <laughs> this look, I will never forget this look on her face, turns to Sarah and says, too soon. <laughs> too soon. Do not talk to me. And so for the rest of the time, through the line, in the plane, until we landed, not a word was said. Not oh a God. single word was said. We go through Israel. We have an amazing time. It's an incredible country. Everyone should visit. I have nothing but amazing things to say about Israel and the people, um, both, both pe- all the people, all, all of the, the people, all the people that are there. Very hospitable, an amazing place. I have had such a great time in the Middle East. So then we leave the country. This is like a month later, right? We're leaving the country and we've forgotten about getting in. And Sarah's like, leaving is no problem. They don't care. You're done. You're leaving. Yeah. Who cares? Okay, great. So we get into the airport and um, I, <laughs> we get on, you know, it's, it, we're doing our normal thing. We're going through security. We're getting on the plane. We get on the tarmac. We start walking up the stairs. All of a sudden people start running up the stairs into the plane. 
And of course they're speaking a language I don't understand. And yeah. our Jewish friend, Sarah doesn't understand enough Hebrew to understand what they're saying. And so she's trying to figure out and she's going, what, what is, Oh, Shabbat. What? And then all of a sudden the look on her face is like, Oh shit, run. She just looked at me and was like, run. And I was like, okay. So we're running. Terrifying. Terrifying. Like, is there a terrorist? Like what's going on? Yeah. Okay. So in the Jewish faith on Friday, is there religious day? Like their Sabbath essentially. Mm. And everything shuts down. Mm. Like the whole country shuts down for this, for Friday night. And in, and it doesn't, unshut down, I think until Saturday night, I think it's like a whole 24 hours, but I could be wrong. I was only there for a month. So what would I know? Anyway, so (laughs) we're, I'm going, what do you mean? It's Shabbat. Yes. Who cares? And she goes, the airport is going to shut down. So we get on the plane. We're strapped in. The engine is going. We start going down the, the runway and they literally have to turn the plane off in the middle of the runway Because the airport has shut down. No. Like, there's no one there. And the plane... Oh, my God. The pilots are from Italy. And so they had no idea. And so they're on the radio. And there's nobody in the tower. Like, the tower's like, we're gone. You got it. You got it. We're done. Yeah. Right? I guess it was... Because it's an international airport, they weren't shut down for a whole 24 hours. But they were done. Shut down 6 o'clock at night until midnight. And wow. so they're like, we're going to have to sit on this tarmac for six hours. What? And I was, I, the, the, the white uh, privileged American busted through my chest and was like, <laughs> fuck you. <Yeah. laughs> so I start having a mental breakdown, like a full anxiety attack, mental breakdown. I can't breathe. I can't see. My friends are really concerned about me. My anti-anxiety medication is in my fucking checked luggage. Um, see, add that to the list. Add that to the list of things that need to go in the carry-on. I never check my luggage. And because this was a small plane, mm-hmm. I had to check my luggage. And that's, I mean, I didn't have a carry-on. That was my carry-on. Right. Right. And so my medicine is in there. And so my friend, my two friends put on their mama bear hat and they're like, our friend is sick. She needs her medicine. We need to get off this plane. And a lot of people were having this reaction. It wasn't just me, but a lot of people. And so they finally figured out that they could bus us back to the terminal for the six hours, but there were no services. So we were in a dark closed down terminal, like the whole airport. It was abandoned. It was like post-apocalyptic and we're all running around trying to find food and snacks or something. And they finally opened it. A one Chinese restaurant thing kiosk and they're like okay you guys can have Chinese food and I was at this point I was not hungry I was in a dark place I don't care just get me the hell out of here we didn't make it into we were supposed to land in um, Athens at like I don't know seven in the in the evening and we had all these plans to go Hmm. explore Athens we didn't get in until two o'clock in the morning oh my god because of this poor planning <laughs> as far as <laughs> trying to take off in the middle of Shabbat. I think that's, wow. I think I'm saying that correctly. So then we get to the hostel at two o'clock in the morning in the middle of Athens and we can't open the door. Oh no, we can't open the door. The key is not working. Nobody can figure it out. It's two o'clock in the morning. So with my handy dandy backpack, I just found a corner and just laid down and was like, you, 
my body is <laughs> my done. body is shutting down. Uh, when you guys figure this out, wake me up. I think I think you win for sure for <laughs> for worst worst airport stories. I mean, I you know I almost shit my pants, but at least I was on the flight and it was moving. So yeah, it was pretty it, for sure. But I'm I'm glad we went through it, and and it's a fun story. I mean, that's the that's the beauty of traveling, right? Is that yeah. we get to step out of our safety bubble and see how the rest of the world acts. And in comparison to our TSA agents, I mean, these people had military rifles or guns or assault. I don't know what they were, but they were large and intimidating. Yeah. And I never once felt like I was in danger or that I, that my personal space was being invaded the way that I do every time I come in contact with a TSA agent. Like I'd rather be interrogated for an hour and a half by the Israeli police, military police, than I would a TSA agent. For sure. (laughs) So sad. It's pretty safe to say that our frustrations with air travel come down to the fact that we fly cheap (laughs) and we don't, (laughs) and we don't know the upgrade hacks. With enough resources, you can still fly as carefree and sophisticated as people did back in the golden age of aviation. At this point in my life, it's more important to me to get where I'm going than to worry about how I'm going to get there. But I can tell you those days are quickly coming to an end, and I am realizing that I don't have the patience I once did. (laughs) And I've never had any, and so now we know. (laughs) Now we know. We don't know what traveling will look like after this pandemic. We all saw how dramatically it changed after 9-11. What I can say is I will never stop traveling, exploring, and experiencing what this amazing world has to offer. Thanks so much for joining us. Look for this and other episodes on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. Visit letsadultpod.com now for more information on episodes, how to support us, and where to follow us. And don't forget to rate, like, subscribe, comment, and share so we can continue to ask the question, are we we adulting adulting yet? yet?